Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? Here we are, episode 400. It's coincided with quote-unquote Freedom Day, whatever that means to those of us that uh, are listening. Um, Congratulations on getting to not the end of the pandemic or anything like that, but it does mean that there are less restrictions in place. Lockdowns are officially ended. The sun is shining. I think uh, a lot of good things are going on right now, but obviously a lot of good things going on with the podcast. Um, So before I introduce today's guest, if you're watching the stream, you already know who it is. Um, Just a thank you to anyone that has listened to has interacted, followed us on Twitter, bought our playbooks, being a patron, uh, commented playing our leagues just anything you know we wouldn't be here without any of you and uh we really appreciate all the support we've had over the last three or four years doing this i wish stocks was here as well but you know he's taking some time but i do have an amazing guest as promised um she is uh part of the team at yahoo fantasy and is an absolute sports guru and i learned this weekend you're a massive f1 fan liz loser welcome to five yard rush how you doing Thank you. I appreciate that warm welcome. And uh, we should maybe mention that uh, we were acquainted with one another when you did my eliminator. And I think you said that I was the most engaging 
um, host, I guess you could say, of those eliminators. I love doing them. Cheers to Scott Fish and John Bosch for organizing them. And cheers to you and all of the UK for Lewis Hamilton's incredible return to the first place spot on the podium at this past weekend's British Grand, British Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at your, your Twitter this morning. I know you tipped uh, Charles Leclerc to finish high, and he did. So that was one for your win column. But yeah, Lewis Hamilton pulled off a, a mirac- you know miraculous escape to win. I'm not a big F1 guy. Um, I preferred it back in the old days with the Ayrton Senna's and Damon Hills and uh, even like Jacques Villeneuve's and Alan Prost and Michael Schumacher's and even Fernando Alonso's. I find that it's more car less driver but you have to give credit where it's due he, he really did pull out all the stops to do it I know you're going to disagree with me on that and that's fine <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's that I think let me just two things before we do jump it. into fantasy football because formula one has become this is like my side piece right like she's looking real good she got these curves in all the right spots and I'm still married to the NFL this is my commitment my lifelong journey but over here She's making me feel a certain way. So I'm into her. Um, and I have to say that for me, the politics, I mean, I obviously watched uh, Drive to Survive, the Netflix series, which is Chef's Kiss impeccably produced um, and well done on Netflix. Uh, but I think that the thing that I, I grew up a big horse racing fan. And to me, F1 is very similar to horse racing, except you don't have living beings like like these horses who are bred for speed and there is an incredible amount of information for anyone who wants to find out about how that's potentially contributing to the loss of these horses on the track and the broken limbs etc but instead you have the same concept with and you know drivers that are similarly sized to jockeys um, but you get to take like a human engineering and ingenuity standpoint to it. So I, I think it's very, very exciting. Max Verstappen has got to be the biggest crybaby, along with Christian Horner, I have ever met. Lewis Hamilton may have the advantage of the Mercedes squad, but also stand up guy, love what he's doing. You can't take it away from him fully. No. And, you know, my fun fact of Max Verstappen is he actually raced in an F1 race before he got his driver's license. So that's... uh, I do not know that. That's my fun F1 Max Verstappen fact that I know. Yeah, it was. I think it was like a week before he turned 18 and therefore he was waiting to get his license, but he couldn't get it till he was 18. So, yeah, he he drove in an F1 race before he uh, got his driver's license. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. All right. So I have a touch more. I have... Plenty of respect for him as a competitor. I just don't like him. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know the crowds went wild and when Lewis won and uh, it was, you know, anytime a, a British sports person wins, then, you know, it's always something to, to celebrate, especially after what happened with the Euros. And that's still a very sore spot in this country yeah. that we we lost those penalty kicks. But we're moving on to uh, uh, another sport, your your wifey sport i guess or husband sport, <laughs> however we should refer to it um talk to us how you got into uh talking about fantasy football for a living how you grew up with it and, and, and interacted and got to where you got to with, with with where you are now at yahoo sure i'll give you the abridged version because it is like all i think good stories long and winding with plenty of do- detours and unexpected obstacles but uh 
long story short, I was raised by a single mom. She became a single mom when I was only 13 months old and moved back in with my grandparents and by default, my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran uh, and had worked on the locomotives as um, a mechanic and engineer, I suppose. Um, very prototypically masculine, if you were in Chicago, or if you will, in Chicago. Um, he kind of became my domestic caregiver, was the person who shuttled me back and forth to classes and sewed my <laughs> sewed and planned my Halloween costumes and my uh, ballet recital. I was horrible at ballet, by the way, but like recital dresses, etc. And I'm an only child. And so my he and I had the most one on one time and he kind of taught me everything he knew, which was not normatively speaking what girls of the time learned, but did include a lot about sports and cars, as we were talking about at the top of the show, and all of those things, which I think are, to be fair, where I grew up in, in the United States and the Midwest are more prevalent than like on the coasts. So it wasn't that far of a leap, but still pretty different, especially now that I live in Los Angeles and did get a degree out east. Um, so I grew up with this knowledge. And fast forward a bunch of years, my grandfather um, very unfortunately passed. I wasn't home to get home. I wasn't home. I was traveling back from university unexpectedly to say goodbye. I wasn't able to make it in time. And as a way to grieve, I just started watching every single NFL game, not just the Bears game um, that I could on television and trying to consume as much. And it, uh, listen, nobody was going to pay for therapy. We didn't have that kind of money. So this is what I did instead. And that tradition became regular every football season as a way to mourn him, remember him, and also just habit and joy. And I became an NFL fan, not just a regional football fan. Fast forward another couple of years, I'm dating this guy. He's in this thing called the Fantasy Football League. He starts asking me, uh, he starts moving his team around, asking for a little bit of advice, realizes that I know what I'm talking about, realizes that I know more than the NFC North, but can, you know, stand for uh, MJD or have a few notes about various running backs and wide receivers out, even in the AFC. Um, and we start working together and co-managing this team to an eventual Super Bowl victory. I was absolutely hooked on fantasy football at that point a little bit of a nerd myself was like oh my god this is like this is like a choose your own adventure story for an NFL fan I am completely in it melds all of my dorky bits and I want in there happened to be an opening in the league that following year I was granted it yes I was the only girl in the league and yes I did manage to take my squad to another Super Bowl victory. Everybody balked. They said this is beginner's luck. And for a third year, or, you know, if I'm counting the first one as a co-managed team, second on my own third consecutive, I um, won another Super Bowl. And so with this same boyfriend, I was sitting on the sofa watching on our computers. We were watching um, Fantasy Football Live, which kicks off 90 minutes before actual kickoff, wherever you are. And I was, you know, watching the show in, in anticipation of setting my own lineups. And I turned to my boyfriend and I said, huh, why aren't there any women on this show? Like, why does everybody look the same? I mean, much love to Andy Barons and Brad Evans at the time and Brandon Funston. But like, there's a lot of repetition on this show. And he said, I don't know, like, why don't you start a blog? And so I did. 
and the blog took off and I started a podcast and I started a, a video blog. And um, some years later, I am now um, entering my seventh season as the host and lead analyst on Fantasy Football Live. Which is amazing. It's such an inspirational story. And, you know, we've, we've been lucky enough to have some, some great women on this podcast over the last three or four years. Um, and it's just true testament that, one, how accepting the community is now. I don't know, probably you, you'll know more than me what it was like years before when you were breaking through. There's still work to do, obviously. Um, but it's great to see more and more women getting opportunities but we would like to see a lot more as well get opportunities i mean what are your thoughts on the current state of play and what more can people do to give women opportunities in media and fantasy football i think it's two-pronged i'm it's multi-pronged not just two-pronged i think there's the difference between the immediate community which is accepting and always has been um and more open-minded i would say than the general playing audience. Um, I don't get trolled by people within the community. I don't get trolled by folks who play in the Scott Fishbowl, for example. You know, I get trolled by the casuals who are triggered by a woman giving them advice, full stop, right? Like it's not just about football. It's they don't want to hear advice from someone who does not look like them. So I don't know how we combat um, global sexism. There are a lot of theories. I'm sure there are plenty of papers written um, and there's a lot of debate to, ha to be had. But I think that is at the crux of it. I think also um, within the community, I think good content should, I, I tend to, and this gets me in trouble. So uh, um, here, I think my, no, no, no. I, I mean, I think <laughs> my story is um, I hope that my story helps any independent content creator along their journey. I did not set out to be the first woman of blah, 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 right? Like I did notice that there was a per perspective that wasn't being given on this show and might've been considered. And when all of the decision makers are look a certain way, they don't maybe think about someone who is not in their immediate purview of, of friends or peers or colleagues. And so I think there's, you know, decision makers need to change a little bit, but also I think good content should be discovered. I think there's a difference now, the explosion of social media, like how many times you tweet a day or post a day is not necessarily, it's not a quality versus quantity. So I think that being open to different kinds of content and also there are plenty of analysts who write awesome, incredibly valuable articles or, or, you know, have a litany of very informative videos, but they're just not for me, right? Like I'm, I'm not a graphs person, to be honest. Like I don't, I don't like graphs. They kind of confuse me. I wasn't really good at math. That's just not the way I learn. And we know plenty about like audio learners, visual learners, like that's just not the way I digest and retain information. That's not to say that the creators who are working with that genre of, of content isn't great. It's not for me. And so now I think we have all of the, the spaces become so full of options that, you know, we can choose what we like and what we don't like. And if you are building a platform, maybe have options within that. Maybe you have the person 
who makes constant uh, zeitgeist references. And maybe that's not for you, but maybe one of your viewers will like that. And I think there's just kind of being open to that. And I also think that just because you're the loudest doesn't mean you're the best, but they tend to get, the loudest people tend to get the most amount of attention. And I think if we're all mindful about, yes, but what are they being loud about? Is there any substance or decide that you don't care? Then that's another like piece of that journey. And I don't know, stamping out stamping out the things you do or don't like yeah and i i would say to those that shout the loudest they also tend to fade the quickest you notice that you get people in i'm being general here that people i i see it all the time people with their hot takes to to get clicks and to get likes they do it for a period of time and then it just stops whether it's they've got the staying power whether that the uh overwhelming i won't say abuse but negative comments get to them i don't know but i find well, there's it, burnout right there like is there's burnout burnout's a real level yeah yeah and so if the amount of so i guess what i'm saying if you're just trying to chase like a, right now it's like how many followers you have chase the social media following people can call me a hypocrite because i have a certain number or there's a threshold that they believe but like also i didn't start this trying to have x amount of followers I didn't, I I started a blog. In fact, I didn't, I started a blog before I had a Twitter account. So I I think that if your work is good and you're working on your craft and you're trying to be better, it will find you and it may not find you as quickly, but I think you're, you're right that maybe you will last a little bit longer. And I I think the other part of it is, is who you are as a person. I think that the way that people's content is presented is a reflection of the person behind the content. And I think sometimes people get infuriated or frustrated because they do the right things and they work really hard and, and put all their effort into it and they show everything about them. And as you say, they might not get found, but if they continue to do the right things and live and enjoy it. And I think the enjoyment factor is a really big part of it if you're not enjoying it people aren't going to engage with you people see through forced manufactured content over original raw um even i want to say emotional content but it has that emotion that enjoyment factor that that one thing that kind of grabs you in and i think that's for me like again i started this or i didn't even start it stock started it i came on the bandwagon we didn't look at our twitter account and think well we got x male followers we need to get this you know we, we we just we were two guys having fun just chatting every week if people tuned in great people didn't tune in we got away from our wives and talked about our favorite thing in the world for an hour and a half like that suited us down on the ground lee jumped on board uh, and then we found that we just found other people who were the same and so we have writers we have people who produce podcasts now on the channel who are just the same. They're just people who love it. They're not going to be the next, you know, Andy Barron's. They're not going to be the people who are going to go off. And, and that's not any reflection of their talent or passion. It's just the, most of it, like myself, I don't want a big multimedia platform. It's just not what I'm in this uh, for. And bless you for knowing that about yourself, because I can't, you know, my previous life, I didn't mention this, was entertainment. And so, and I live in Los Angeles. My husband works in entertainment. I have lots of friends that work in entertainment and there is nothing sadder. And this, I I will, uh, I'm not saying I haven't seen this in the fantasy space, but I think it's more prevalent because the industry is larger in the entertainment space. And also I want to protect myself from 
getting, <laughs> getting in trouble. But, but there's nothing sadder than seeing uh, an aspiring creative who know, who hates it, right? They hate television. They hate acting. They hate writing, whatever it is. They hate it. They hate it. And they've been burnt by it. And they're so jaded, but they refuse to relinquish it or be honest with themselves because they promised the 10 year old versions of themselves, this thing, and they will not release themselves of it. And it is so sad. And it, I see people crippled with depression. Um, and having the knowing what it is you actually want and being self-aware and in touch to know, like, I mean, formula one, let me be honest, like this many years in a fantasy, sometimes it gets dull. Sometimes I'm tired of writing sleeper articles. That doesn't mean that when I'm in the middle of an aha, I don't like find the passion again. But for me, like this summer formula one has been a wonderful, like, Oh, let's talk about the betting lines. And in some ways it's helped me become reacquainted with fantasy football. So when we talk about our, you know, our rankings in a little bit, I had fun going back because it hasn't just been this, 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 and finding those things for you or knowing what you really want. Like, are you just here to be on TV? Are you just here to be like a, a an influencer or whatever? Okay, cool. I guess. I also, last thing, I just want to say, I always find it very interesting. I ask other analysts or other aspire analysts, um, which do you care more about your takes or your team? And I always find those answers to be incredibly revealing. Yeah, I, I don't really care about my takes. I know I'm going to be wrong. Almost, oh, see, I'm the reverse. The really? I don't I, care about my team. No, I don't care about my team anymore. Like, come week four, who gives a shit? I'm here. <laughs> People are listening to me, so I'm not wrong. Like, I care much more about, I write sleepers articles every week. Like, I care much more about my personal hit rate than my teams. I have not won a championship since getting a job at Yahoo because I stopped paying attention to my teams because I'm so busy working on perfecting my content. Okay, I get that. I, th I think that makes sense. I think for me, why I say that is I do care about the end result of my teams because I think that shows a reflection of trying to be competitive in leagues, etc. But I guess for me, I will always trust the process. I, I enjoy the process of the takes more than the take itself because I think that's where the learning yeah. comes from. So for me, like I really enjoy the research and trying to understand why I, so when I do my projections or I do my analysis or I look at my, I do streaming articles and I work out why I want to stream certain players who are under 30% owned every week. I do that because I enjoy the process of it. I think more than the result. I think the result is the result. The process is the part because I enjoy refining the process, getting better at the process, getting a better. So but it, it's not necessarily about the hit rate. It's about, I know that each time I do it, I get better at it. And then it's the result of that. Then I think impacts my teams because I get myself those advantages and then I help other people win. And if other people tell me that they've won their leaks because of the takes I've got, that makes it better than saying, oh, well, I was right about Miles Sanders and fading him last year, but I was wrong about um, Darren Waller, for example. What, I was wrong about Darren Waller last year, too. Don't <laughs> um, which do you Which do you beat yourself up more after? A loss in a head-to-head -head loss in a season-long league or the information in your article, your streamer's article, just busting. 
So probably, yeah, definitely. I think for me, it, it will be more the content in the article. So if I've told somebody, or in fact, do you know what hurts me more than anything? is isn't the content in the article. It's when someone's dropped me a Twitter DM and they've asked me, I've got this player and this player, who would you start in your lineup? And I give them the wrong one. Oh. I think because that impacts somebody else. I think I always think I'm of the belief that when you take, when you take advice and it's um, articles, for example, you know that you're going to be right and you're going to be wrong. I accept that it's just part of the pragmatism of the exercise. But I also think that people who rely on just one article, whether it's mine, whether it's yours, or it's anybody's, I think that you're being naive if you're just going to take one person's perspective. You should collect multiple perspectives and draw your own conclusion. My whole point in the content that I try and produce is I don't like to be that person that says pick player A over player B. What I want to do is teach you the process so that ah, you yeah. can make those decisions. Yeah for yourself and so you know when i write the playbook every year which is our book that we produce we've done it two years in a row it's more based on strategy than it is on here's a list of players and here's my rankings you can choose this player or this player it's more about well actually the strategy behind playing a certain format whether it's ppr whether it's tight end premium here's the nuance here's everything you kind of need to know to be successful here's a couple of ways that you can skin the cat choose which you're more comfortable with and I think for me, when people put me on the spot and make me pick a player and it does, it backfires for them, that hurts me more than any loss I'll ever have. But I, I guess I'm just not worried about the content in my article because I guess I'm hoping that people don't just rely on my article, that they're using other sources as well. But yeah, I, think that's I agree with you. I came into this business um, offering information and believing people were mature and intelligent enough to make their own decisions and come to their own conclusions. But by the number of stardom sit questions that I get every week in season, clearly that, you know what, Andy Barron's is the best thing. People will ask him which of these two wide receivers should I start? And he will just reply with a link to his ranking. <laughs> I think that's so baller. Like I, I, I don't have the onions to do it all the time, but like, he's just like, I, don't, I didn't spend my time doing these rankings for you not to look at them. Great point. Is it- <laughs> you can't argue that logic. All right. Uh, well, I, funny, that's a good segue because um, we've just finished our SFB 11 drafts. Uh, mm-hmm. I had Andy Barron's in my division, funny enough. Ah, so okay. I thoroughly enjoyed drafting with Andy. He was drafting in the one spot. He did go kicker, kicker, by the way, um, <laughs> in the 13th, 14th, was it uh, 12th, 13th round? He went kicker, kicker. He went Koo and Tucker. So Ooh, I went Koo ahead of – Koo was my number one kicker, so <laughs> good to know. But he went back-to-back. Um, so the Andy Barron's kicker turn, I think, is how we're trademarking it now. Um, but talk to me about your team – well, talk about the division, first of all, because you've shouted out Scott Fish and all the great work he does for Fantasy Cares and, and all the money that gets raised through the Eliminators and the pod and the league itself. But to who was in your division this year and um, – I don't know. What, what made you think of it? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in the JLo division. There are a lot of good people in the division. I don't know who is in. I don't look at the competition. Um, I'm focused on me. Um, I guess that could be looked up. I honestly, honestly I know, I know you had Thor Nykstrom of uh, of Rider Wild in yes. And I believe he, I believe he won it a couple of years ago. I believe he won the Scott Fish Bowl a couple of years ago. I think. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know who's in it other than Thor. There's, I, I know that a bunch of people tweeted that our conference, which was conference 18 was like one of the hardest conferences. 
I think Brad Evans is in it too. There's a lot. I mean, there's always a lot of good people in a tournament of like whatever, 300 plus people. There's going to be, there's going to be plenty of um, obstacles and competition. So I don't know. I do know that this year, my strategy. So every year, and I think I've said this on previous podcasts, when you draft in these industry leagues, there is almost a point of pride about waiting on quarterback. And so you never want to be that like thirsty drafter who like takes a quarterback seemingly too early. And I am, if you haven't uh, already ascertained, a, a prideful human. And so um, I tend to wait too long on quarterback. Last year, I tried to remedy that and I took Dak Prescott and I was winning the whole damn thing until week five. And, but I will say that that taught me about needing insurance and depth in this particular league because of the super flex format and the two quarterback format. Um, So I prioritized quarterback above all else. Um, I wanted, I was drafting from the four spot. I wanted Kyler Murray. He was my guy. I like Dak. By the way, Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott in my rankings, dancing berries. I have flip flopped them numerous times, but I think Dak opens the season with two really, really tough matchups. Um, And in a, league like this one in particular, you cannot go 0 and 2. And so I wanted an immediate advantage. And so I took Kyler at the four spot. And then I did something I've never done, which is go whole hog on tight end. I probably t- took the least durable of them with George Kittle. Say. So like yes, George Kittle does present problems, but also one of the other things I love about the Scott Fishbowl is that, well I love and I hate is that he's constantly tweaking these um, scoring rules. So there's never enough time to develop enough data to then also develop, uh, like an actual strategic advantage, right? We're all like, there's not enough. The sample size is never like big enough for us to be like, ah, now I see like an absolute pattern emerging. So it makes it the ultimate, go get your guy league. Like just go get the guy you think like, you, I don't know. I don't know. The 80 SFB EDP is the biggest. I know that there are sites that run it. My <laughs> yeah. people try to follow the good flipping luffy. It's a labyrinth of guesses is all that this is. Um, so in my first three picks, I went Murray Kittle Stafford. Maybe I'm swayed as a NFC North supporter now living in Los Angeles by Stafford and his ability to lift this entire offense and think it's fire. But I wanted three premium producers in my top five picks. And then it did mean that I was going to suffer elsewhere. And I took it on the chin and I waited until uh, round six to get a wide receiver. But I like the wide receivers that you've got together. So first thing I look at your roster that we've got some crossover picks, um, Robbie Anderson, Cole Komet, um, Gronk, for example, um, uh, I got both those tight ends. I took them at 14 and 15 round tight ends fell in my division. So I was very happy. They were the first two tight ends I took as well. I just didn't really, I'm not a tight end guy. I was hoping to get Kelsey at the six. He went early and I was like, well, yeah, that's it for tight ends. I'm not, <laughs> they can wait till the second half. Um, but yeah, I, I love Robert Woods. I'm, I think I'm higher on Robert Woods than most. I think he's a wide receiver one this year. The fact you paired him with Stafford, I think that's awesome. I love Robbie Anderson. I don't understand how he's such a... I don't understand his ADP at all. I said this on... I, uh, he's one of the players that I considered uh, for the next segment writing about, but I think you yeah. are instead. I mean, 
the versatility that he, he, he rebranded his own self last year. Yeah. Like what you thought he was, he was like, nah, I'm more than that. It does bother me a little bit that Marshall, who I comp to Anderson was drafted, but I think that Anderson has plenty enough in the tank to keep Terrace at bay for a while. I think, I think Marshall's going to play the slot and, you know, Joe Brady loves playing three wide receiver sets. So I think they're all going to get a chance to shine. Um, so I, I I'll let you do, I know that we could go <laughs> into this, but I, I want to save it because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to eat up any of your talking points when we discuss him. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but I love the wide receiver. You took Anderson cooks, Samuel. I mean, as you said, you said beforehand, you've got the winning roster. So I can't. Disagree. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it, like trying to put a hole in it and I can't. Um, I mean, you've got Daryl Williams still laid on Gabe Davis. You got coup. You took suck up. Nico Collins. I mean, my running backs are problematic. Like Miles Sanders and J.K. Dobbins are probably two of the hardest to rank running backs with lots of variability. But I, I did think adding Gus Edwards, I wanted to, I, maybe I reached for him again. The ADP in this league is a, a misnomer, but I wanted to secure that backfield. Um, a lot of people, I, you know, Javante Williams went higher than Melvin Gordon in this one. And I think that to me, Javante Williams is going to, he is going to be this year's Cam Akers and that it will happen, but it's going to happen so much later and he's going to take up, he's going to rent space for so long before it happens that eventually it'll put teams in holes. Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting one. Denver's a hard one to call right now in terms of what's going on. But I love Miles Sanders this year. I think he's a screaming value at 17 that you got him at. Dobbins, I mean, you got the fact you've paired him with Edwards, you're going to be fine no matter what. Yeah, look, your roster's better than mine, and I thought I did all right. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I mean, I will say I got sniped a bunch. I wanted, there were plenty of times that I thought I would get, like, I, I was high on Josh Palmer, or I wanted Ramondre Stevenson in New England. I really thought I was going to get him. Um, he didn't come up for me. Uh, I don't love the, the I remember the, the, round 17, the Cadre Allison pick, I was just like, oh, hell, I don't know. Like, <laughs> if they, uh, you know, this is one that I like struggled with. I don't know if that, to me, that's the worst pick of the whole bunch. It's a tough Maybe one, Hunter though. Renfro too. Well, yeah, but Hunter Renfro, you don't know what's going to happen in Vegas at the moment with what they're doing. I mean, they've added John Brown, but a few receivers are gone from there. You just never know. I, I mean, I, I did something very similar to you is I didn't, really draft that many wide receivers um you look at other rosters and they've got eight ten wide receivers yeah. you know i drafted six for the similar reason you did i got to the point when i took Rashad perriman at 1606 i was like well he was wide receiver 68 this is no one else i really want i'd already picked russell yeah. gage i'd already got dj chark robbie anderson deontay johnson justin jefferson i was like well i'm kind of done at wide receiver there isn't anyone else here i'm gonna get that's gonna add any significant value at this stage. It would just be a guy who sits on my bench and I'll cut him at some point. And I thought I'd rather swing and get people like P Ryan with my last pick, because if, mm -hmm. if Carter doesn't work out, P Ryan's going to get the job. And if he doesn't, he can get cut. He's my 22nd round pick. I don't really care. Right. Um, you know, Jack Doyle, similar thing. It's like, well, it's my third tight end. If it doesn't work out, he gets cut. Not a big deal. I just kind of swang, uh, swung hard at the end. Jeff Wilson, similar thing. I was like, if he comes back, you might win a job for a few weeks. You never know. And if not, I'd cut yeah. it. Well, and Sermon's running style is not particularly forgiving. So it wouldn't surprise me if 
Sermon gets knocked out at the time that Wilson is ready to return. Yeah. And I swung for quarterbacks because I took Trey Lance and Justin and Deshaun Watson. Ah, okay. But I do have, I have Dak at the top end and I have uh, Big Ben for my security blanket. I went four tight end, uh, four quarterback build. I see. I think that's smart too. I, I don't, I don't think that it, you can have, I have four quarterbacks if you count Taylor Heineke, but that's mostly because I got Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think that that whole offense under Scott Turner, we'll talk about that a little bit later is going to be so fire that I just couldn't, I'm trying to lock up as much uh, Washington football team as I can. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think they're going to do some great things. Um, before we move on to the high and lowest consensus, we did run a competition. So we're running a, our third annual uh, tournament, um, the FFCC, charity tournament, 256 team knockout. We have one spot remaining. So at the FF rookie, you won the last spot. I will send the email out later on today. I just wanted to let you know that you had that spot. So the field is now complete. Congratulations to you. Um, moving on to then our consensus play. So let's talk about this. So let's go one higher and one lower uh, than consensus. I'll let you start kick off uh, with uh, quarterbacks because uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued by, by yours. Okay, sure. Um, so I, I am feeling Carson Wentz this year. Um, and I know that, He's not, I think he's a, a very sexy SFB pick, by the way. Um, and it's not, you know, the plug and play analysis will be like, well, he's reunited with Frank Reich. And I don't know if you guys know, but in 2017, he was the QB seven overall under Frank Reich. Oh my goodness. It is more than that. Um, although if we are going to look at that 2017 season, it is worth noting that Wentz managed a career high 4.9. So almost five rushing attempts per game. That, when I am pro- projecting outwards of what I can expect from him mobility-wise, obviously that has become the biggest cheat code in our virtual game. I'm imagining four, at least four rushing attempts per game over a 17-game uh, season puts him in the third tier. So there's something there, and I like that. Um, it's also, and this was the stat that really swayed me, Philip Rivers in 2020 under Reich finished as fantasies QB 18 to QB 20, depending on your scoring format. So let's say QB 19 with just 18 rushing attempts for negative eight yards. Let me repeat that. Philip Rivers was the QB 19 overall with just 18 total rushing attempts for negative eight yards. I'm expecting Wentz to average four rushing attempts per game. And he is currently the consensus QB 18. Do I think that he can outkick what Philip Rivers did last year? I absolutely do. Also, when we look at the offensive line he had in Philly, which allowed the most sacks, 65, and we think about the upgrade that he's receiving in Indianapolis, uh, a, a unit that allowed the second few is just 21 in 2020. And we also talk about Wentz's big time arm, something that Philip Rivers no longer had. Come on. Uh, last year and we know that he'll now have the time to plant his feet and find receivers and sail the ball accurately because he's not feeling an incredible amount of pressure I think that a top inside a top 15 to 14 fantasy finish is well within reason if Carson Wentz needs a new agent he should give you a call that's definitely the most impassioned I think anyone ever heard talk about Carson Wentz I agree with you though I think I think you're right I think uh I think he's someone that he, you know, his range of outcomes is is definitely being slept on, and I think 
he's someone that can put it together. I was really high on Carson Wentz last year, and I think I had him at QB 12, QB 13, and obviously that didn't work out well. But I think it's confidence with him. If he can get a good start, I think that will help him get to where – I think it's just confidence. I think if he gets the confidence going, gets that swagger that we saw a couple of years ago, and he starts going in thinking he's going to win a lot of games, the sky's the limit. I mean, we'll see. So, but, but I do think if you're looking for, everyone is lower on him. I think largely because of what you alluded to this recency bias after having bullish on been bullish on him last year and gotten burned. So his ADP is depressed. And I think that it has probably gone too much in the opposite direction. Then let's talk about this replacement. Cause that's the one you are definitely lower on, um, which is Jalen Hurts. Yeah. So at Hurts' ceiling, there's no denying that he's a top five option, but at his floor, I mean, he gets benched midseason. So that's a lot of variance for a player that's consistently going in the top eight. Um, there's a lot, there's not a lot of pro tape available um, about his ability as a passer. Last year, he had a five, a 59.2 true, two, a 59.2 true completion percentage. Now, again, I'm not admitting, I just talked about that O-line and all of the obstacles that he faced. So do I think that improves? Sure. But there are so many unknowns with his situation, uh, namely his new head coach, Nick Sirianni, who's commenting that he's like not so interested in matching his scheme to Hertz's skill set. There's like Sirianni's like, I don't know how much of that running around we're going to do. That guy also has not presented as a very confident human in any of his media presentations. Um, There's a lot of behind the scenes kind of debating about Hertz Hertz and I I don't know, like whether or not management is going to stick with him. He has a really, he has the least favorable strength of schedule among fantasy QBs next year. And I don't know, let's look at his weapons. Like, yeah, sure. He's reuniting with Devonta Smith. That's still a really skinny rookie who I like, but like, are we, I mean, he's not, he's not like getting nuke or Michael Thomas and the running back situation is questionable. I don't know. Sirianni doesn't go RPO heavy. I think, I think Hertz is going to struggle. And so yes, his rushing upside keeps him in my top 12, but I don't know if he's going to get a chance to show it off. Oh, and also this defense is bad. This defense is super, super green after all of the moves they made. That means that Hertz is going to have to throw the damn ball, but to who and how. Also, I always like to look at Vegas's odds to help me determine when I'm struggling with a player, uh, you know, maybe give myself an edge. Per bet MGM, the Eagles are the least likely team to win the NFC East. They have odds of plus 300 behind the Giants. Who are at 325 at plus 325. So great point. And and you know, that division is where you could probably get a hundred guys off the street and they could probably be just as competitive, given how bad that division is at times. So um yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm with you on both. I'm absolutely with you on both. I'm in a slightly different direction. Um so for me, Tom Brady, and people are gonna shout me being a homer, you know, Buccaneers fan, but I look at what Tom Brady did last year. Didn't get to practice with the team. Um, those first four, five, six, seven games were pretty rough. Definitely some that 
especially just before the bye week, some really uncharacteristic Tom Brady errors, especially, I think, to mind the Chiefs game, the Rams game, um, the miscalculation of four downs against your Bears. Um, you know, the, oh, yeah. some uncharacteristic errors that you just don't see from Tom Brady. And I think a lot of that was new system, new team, no practice, all those things. And then you saw what he was about on that winning that winning streak getting towards the Super Bowl. Now news has come out that he had an MCL tear. I don't think it was as bad as people are, are making out to be that he played the whole season on a on a dud knee. I mean, you just can't do that. I'm not even Tom Brady can do it. I think part of this is part of the Brady machine, but he did play hurt. There was definitely games it was a strap knee. I think he just comes back better. I think he is the exception to the Konami code. I think he can easily throw for over 4,500 yards. I think he can throw for 40 touchdowns. That seems a very plausible outcome with the same group of receivers. And the one thing that does improve in his first half of the schedule is it's Antonio Brown. As long as Antonio Brown doesn't do Antonio Brown things, he's got an even more comfortable weapon there that he's familiar with, which we saw he peppered him with targets the second half of the season. So I like Brady to finish in the top five. I got him as fifth. Um, but I do like him to finish it's in the top five um, fantasy quarterbacks this year. I just think everything's going to go his way. And he's just going to be as safe, as reliable as, as ever. I think top five is bullish and, and props to you. I have him as my QB nine. So again, we're splitting hairs here, right? Like if, if he's going to be a top 10, I think we're both agreeing that he's going to be inside the top 10. Um, it's hard for me to put him inside my top five because of the lack of rushing ability. And because that defense is so dang good that I just don't know how much he's going to need to do to overcome particular deficits, but I hear you on all of the other things. And, and he is to your point, probably the most reliable option that you could pick. And if he's going later because people are like tired of him or whatever the narrative does, or he's old or he doesn't rush, like, what a great value and what an awesome floor that he's providing. If Matt Ryan gets is the floor guy every year, now Tom Brady is the floor guy. Exactly that. And I think if you're getting him in the ninth round, 10th round, and you think you, yeah. you know, the way the strategy is working out, you either get your elite guy early or you wait. Tom Brady's the guy that I think if I miss out on Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, then Tom Brady's yeah. the guy I'll target. Thanks very much. I'll take him in the ninth round. And I feel pretty good about that. And I'll just build the value up with the rest of the picks. The one I'm slightly lower on, and I still have him in the top 10, is, is Lamar Jackson. And I I just have a problem. I just have a problem putting a guy who isn't going to throw for 3,000 yards in inside the top six, top seven. I just can't do it because we know what Lamar Jackson is now. The first year he took everyone by storm. No one knew what he was going to do with the unpredictable nature of everything. Second year, he was a bit more wise. He played some good defenses. They started to get the, the gathering of him. Yeah, he still had big gains. He still had big runs. He's still going to rush a ton. But I can't see a path to him throwing for 3,000 yards. And if I don't look at that and think, okay, he's going to need to, to compensate for that, to finish in the top six or seven, he's going to have to rush for over 1,000 yards. I've got him with just a smidge under. So it's close. Like, I can see the path to where he finishes up there. I have him a smidge under 1,000 yards. And as a result, I've just got him outside. It's not much. I mean, the gap to – I've got him at nine. The gap to Brady's like 
less than 20 points. It's quite easy for him to make that up, but just right now I can't see it. So I don't think he's worth where people are taking him. No, I, I hear all that. And I like that you are quantifying it with a number of rushing yards. I think he is going to flirt with a thousand, right? Whether it's like 990 or 1050, like it's right there. But I agree with you that that is what we are relying on. And obvious, and if he gets hurt, then boom, there's that, that number isn't reachable. Yeah. Or if people, again, he's playing, <laughs> that schedule is it's not bad, but they're playing some very, yeah. especially that division. You know, you got to face that Browns D, you got to face that Steelers D. It has four games against those defenses in particular. They're smart, good against the run. I think they'll know how to contain him. I've seen him now a number of times. I, I just think, yeah, I mean, well, when I say contain, like... I, say, I say contain. Obviously, what I mean contain is contain the ceiling. You're not going to be able to contain Lamar Jackson. I still think he's going to get yards, but I don't think you're going to see those 150, 200-yard games he's capable of on the ground against those defenses. And I think, well, if that makes up a good portion of your schedule, where are you going to make it rain to, to catch those up? That's my that's my only thing. But I, I still think he's he's going to be a safe a pick. And I can see the value of getting him in the fifth round if you think, well, I know he's going to be a top nine QB. Barring I mean, I just don't know how you don't believe that Sammy Watkins is the answer to all of this. <laughs> if Sammy Watkins is the answer to any question <laughs> that revolves around something good, you've probably already lost. That's <laughs> <laughs> fair. Um, let's move on to running backs because I love yours again. Um, Told me why you're, you're high on Joe Mixon. So, you know, I like to take these divisive players and admit that I struggle. He's one of the hardest running backs in the, in, in the top 15 for me to rank. But ultimately, when I dug in and, and looked at the numbers, I can't not rank him ahead of the ECR. I, I, and so much of this is recency bias, why it's in, which is why it's important to go back and like really mathematically decide why you feel a certain way and whether you should or not. But Joe Mixon in 2019, before Joe Burrow, evaded the most tackles of any running back 6.4 per game that year oh why well because the whole offense was dog shit now you add in joe burrow and his number goes from 6.4 per game to 4.7 per game that reduction wasn't obviously because the o-line got better right but because joe burrow added electricity to the offense that prevented opposing defenses from stacking the box so regularly. In fact, last year, Mixon recorded a light carry, light front carry of nearly 60%, which was the running back seven for that statistical category. Now you're going to throw in Jamar Chase. You've already got T. Higgins. You got t- Tyler Boyd. That field stretching ability is only going to grow. You don't have Gio Bernard, by the way, which should improve and improve Mixon's work or volume in the passing game. He's, by the way, a pretty efficient pass catcher when given the opportunity. Is injury an issue? Sure. Does the foot sprain scare me? Yeah. But this is the running back position. Name me a player. I mean, Saquon Barkley's still going for uh, as the, like four overall and people aren't talking about the ACL and he hasn't even committed to like what sort of workload he's going to have. So if we're talking about in, you can't like just harp on the injuries for this position because it is so volatile. So I think he's going to flirt with his 2018 numbers. And I think he has an opportunity to clear 1100 rushing yards this year. 
I'm so with you. So let me ask you this question because this is going to probably annoy some people. And I, I think that's why I want to ask the question. If, if healthy and Joe Mixon plays 17 games, will he finish above Jonathan Taylor? That is a very, very good question. I will probably, you know what? I'm going to have to lean towards yes, because Naheem Hines is still, I think, going to vulture a lot of the pass catching opportunities in Indianapolis. So assuming full help from Hines, I mean, the reason we have Taylor ranked higher, right, is because of a probability issue of health. Um, So I I think it'll be very, very close. I think what Mixon could do in the passing game, if given the opportunity, should um, vault him. I'm so to with that you. level. I'm so with you. I have I have Mixon ahead of Taylor. I just fully okay. believe. I think Taylor. Listen, Taylor for safety. Taylor is the the great. That's right. That's why he's ranked higher. It's a probability issue. It's, yeah. Yeah. But if all things are equal, they all play the same amount of games. I cannot see a way that Joe Mixon will not finish ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Is he, who is he going to compete with touches with? Chris Harris? Right. Really? Or Chris right. Evans, even, not even Chris Harris. See, I mean, like, or Samaji P. Ryan? <laughs> Come on. Like, you still got Marlon Mack there in Indy as well. They re-signed him. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. He's going to get some work. I mean, he's not going to get loads, but he's going to get some. I just, yeah, I can't see a, a scenario. The only way, the only, Joe Mixon is his own biggest enemy this year. If he stays healthy. Enjoy. That is the best thing to say. Joe Mixon is his own biggest enemy this year. Puts a perfect button on it. Yeah. Um, the Your lower on, I'm again completely with you here, is, is uh, DeAndre Swift. Um, I am. I mean, just this, this offense is not going to be good. You know, they're in. Uh, if you look at their odds, I think their odds to win the division are plus 1,600. Last time I checked, it, 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 we, there's no field stretching options. Um, their defense is a bottom 12 defense per FF calculator. It's hard to imagine that workflow is ever going to leave lean in Swift's favor. Um, I, I just don't see him ever like milking a lead and be given that opportunity. He does have upside, especially in that arena as a pass catcher, but and that's kind of what keeps him inside my top 20, but you also have Jamal Williams coming in and we know that he can catch passes. And we also know how the coaching staff feels about him, right? Like we know that Anthony Lynn is not down on him. And so, and we know that Swift has not been the most durable of players, right? So it wouldn't surprise me that former running back Anthony Lynn would be like, yeah, we're going to use kind of an RBBC here. Um, I don't want this kid to be the sacrificial lamb. Let's use this cheaper option who is coming from within the division and might have an advantage against the Packers twice against all of the other teams that he's faced previously, you know? So uh, I think there's, I think people are going to be disappointed by Swift's overall production and opportunity. With you hundred percent. And and also the fact that they're willing to bring in, Todd Gurley for meetings. Um, yeah, who's got no knees? Point. You're sitting there thinking, yeah. well, do you know what? You're not sold on Swift. You, you know, and and none of this, none of the people there, the front office, the coaching staff, drafted Swift. There's no investment in him from the people mm-hmm. left in the building. It's just not. So I'm with you. I just don't. I I don't think 
Swift is going to be on any of my rosters this year. I just can't see a scenario where I'm looking at him thinking, yeah, I'm going to take him over David Montgomery or Clyde edwards or Chris Carson, even though Chris Carson is injury prone as anything. Um, I just can't see it. So, yeah, I, I, I completely with you. Um, I'm high on, on, on Miles Sanders the most, which is funny because I was lower on Miles Sanders than everyone last year. I said hmm. Miles Sanders would not finish as an RB2 last year. Just didn't see it. He was getting drafted in the second round. A Doug Pedersen running back is not going to finish that high. You know, does not produce 100-yard rushing games. He's not going to get a lot of pass catching. Well, he's going to get some, but he's not going to get a huge volume of it. That's what happened. He got injured. Okay, that didn't help either. But I do think all the reasons you talked about Jalen Hurts and this whole we're not going to let him run wild, I think is exactly the reason why my Sanders is a, probably a pretty good bet. And I think for the value of where he's going in drafts, I yeah. think he's a steal. Because, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't think Miles Sanders is going to finish as an RB1, but I think he's going to finish very solid RB2, the top end of the RB2 conversation. He could even flirt with the RB1. That's probably his ceiling. And I'm happy to take him at a very low-end RB2 cost because everyone's fading him. Everyone's like, I don't want – he didn't produce last year. Everyone got burned on him last year. This will fade. I think he's got the opportunity that I'm not worried about game well. I'm not worried about um, – Carry on Johnson. Carry on Johnson. I'm not worried about anyone there. There's no one there really that is going to command a huge volume. Gamewell is a work in progress, and he's a very singular type of back. Johnson is always hurt. <laughs> I mean – it just, yeah. I mean, you pick him up for for depth, and I listen. He might take some work, but I, and again, and that's why I don't think he's going to be an RB one. But I, I think he's a pretty safe bet to. to so I have him as a high end RB two as well, and I like to contextualize. So I'm taking him after Najee Harris, but ahead of DeAndre Swift. Right. So I'm. Ex- I am. I'm right there with you. I've got him after Harris. I've got him. I, I basically, it's like him, Montgomery, Carson, Etienne, and Clyde Lewis Hilaire. You could kind of throw a, a blanket over in that sort of range. Mm. Um, but then I've got him quite a bit ahead of Swift and quite a bit over my fade, which is Cam Akers. So I just really. Okay, hate, talk to me. I really hate Cam Akers' price. I really hate his ADP. I love the player, right? I love the player. I hate. Hate where he's going in drafts. I think he is the classic overdraft, overhyped player that we see every single year. And it's got nothing to do with his talent. Nothing to do with his talent. It's just the way that the Rams run with their offenses. You look at what happened last year and you look what happened the year before. There's always someone in there who gets a hot hand, who runs, gets more touches than they should. You've still got Henderson there, who they spent good capital on. I don't think Henderson's a massive thing, but I think he's going to get a significant amount of work. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at, when I was projecting this out, I was thinking, what is the ceiling for Cam Akers in terms of touches? Like, what is the ceiling? I I think his ceiling is like 220 touches. Or 220 <laughs> carries is his, is his ceiling. Right. And then... You know, then I do think he gets passing. So I, I can see a path to him getting 260 at his ceiling. And I don't think it's going to be his ceiling. I think his ceiling is more around that 232. I think he's going to be somewhere in the 220 to 240 touch range total. 
And I think if I'm going to invest a top end second round or turn, he's, he's going at the turn of the one, two turn or the high second. I need someone who's going to be close to the 300 touches or at least the 280, 270 kind of conversation. I'm just too worried. He's going to be much, much lower down on that. And I think I'm looking at who you can get around that range. I mean, he's going, I'm for me, Austin Eckler, I would take before him. I would take Antonio Gibson before him. I would take Najee Harris before him. I would take Joe Mixon before him. And then you start getting into it and you think, well, this is why I can't, I can't invest in acres at his price. End of the second, start of the third, I would start to get interested. But I just I just hate the ADP because he's never going to go there. He's, he's going to be taken. I, I've seen Cam Akers going first rounds of drafts and I don't understand it. I just don't. For me, I can't I can't do it because there's too much uncertainty there based on how based on how they use their backs. So I think a couple of things. First of all, I thought I was lower on Akers. I have him. I mean, truthfully, I keep flip flopping. <laughs> Here's a peek behind the curtain. I have him depending on my mood and the day, either at RB12 or RB13. I'm flip flopping him with Antonio Gibson every day. I think right now he's lower than. Um, but I have Joe Mixon and I have Austin Eckler, both of whom you mentioned, ahead of him. I'd also hate the ADP, but here's the thing. And I've been listening to the Flying Coach podcast with Sean McVay on The Ringer. So maybe this is a, giving me a little bit of a bias. Um, Sean McVay plays favorites. There's no doubting that. And we also know that he's an offensive mind. And I think we're all anticipating this Rams offense to lift. And yet last year, even with a pace of 2.22, which was QB 14 down from 2.30 QB six in 2019, Goff uh, and under Goff, Akers manage a yards created per touch average of 1.43 RB 20. So are we assuming that he can, that, that McVeigh and Stafford can lift this pace which obviously increases the field stretching back into like the top 10, which should improve acres efficiency. And he's already been hyper efficient. I mean, what you're hoping for from cam acres are those home run plays, right? Like that is what makes him so exciting. He's not consistent. He's a, he's a variant, a, a highly variant, high ceiling chasing kind of player. Um, I, I'm not fading him, though I I won't own him anywhere because I don't like his ADP either. It is hard for me to put him outside of my top 15 because of the offense he's attached to, but I have no problem keeping him outside of my top 10. Okay. So I have him outside my top 15 currently. I know. That, and that's <laughs> what I like. I think that's ballsy of you. Like, I don't have it in me to do that, but I agree that I also won't have him anywhere. Like, for me, is there when I'm drafting, let's say he falls, am I, who, uh, let me look at my, for example, like if, if, if he falls, are you going to take Clyde Edwards Hilaire or Cam Akers? Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think I, that one's going to be, that would be a very tough, like I, I would admit to probably, you know, having to pace a little bit when making that decision. I, I would feel comfortable with Edward Teller, not because of what I've seen, but just because, again, I look at that situation and think with the investment of the capital, with who is there, with that offense, I just feel more comfortable that Clyde Edward Teller was brought in for a very specific reason into that team. And I don't think we've seen the best of him. I do think he has a short leash this year. 
but I do believe in the talent enough to where, but I get the, I think that would be a conversation point, but yeah, I, I think it's, t- I just don't, I, just, I don't trust Sean McVay enough to give him the touches. And as you say, I think he can, I think he can break yards. I think he's going to have, I, you know, could he have top three, uh, running back weeks, absolutely. Will he have mm. multiple of them? Yeah. Will he have enough to warrant the ADP? I'm not so sure. But right. Um, let's touch briefly on wide receivers because you've you've you're sticking with the Rams here, and I I just love this because I have I have this player in my top twelve, and I'm completely yeah. Mistaken. I feel like we need to put some respect on Robert Woods's name. You know, like he's coming off of a career touchdown season in which was all other ways, as I just mentioned, a down season for the Rams. Um, he does everything. I know Cooper Cup, you know, like a year a year ago, it was Cooper Cup that had the like red zone appeal, the slot guy, but this is a different quarterback. This is, I think when you look at what Robert Woods can do, you can use him all over the field. You want to use him in the slot? Great. You want him to block? Yeah. You want him, by the way, those two rushing touchdowns that he managed last year, you want to move him out of the backfield? Like he can just do so much and he's so much more versatile than Cup. And I feel like he doesn't get the respect because he is willing to like block as a wide receiver. And that's just not flashing. It doesn't show up on these highlight reels. And so he doesn't get like the attention and the respect that I think he deserves. I think that both Woods and Cup are going to flirt with 150 looks a piece. Mm-hmm. But I think that Woods is going to be able Woods, who is, by the way, consistently averaged a higher uh, yards per target average than Cup, is going to do more with his opportunities because of his versatility than Cup. And so I think that we need to stop avoiding him and start embracing him. Uh, I'm quite happy for people to avoid him, and I'll take him in the fifth round of every single draft I'm in this season. Absolutely no problem at all. <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, I was high on him last year, and I don't understand why people faded him and he was a couple of points outside of being a, a wide receiver one same with the year before and he had no touch like he had no touchdowns i think he had two one of them was on the yeah. ground one of them in the air in, in 2019 um they corrected that it was always going to regress to the mean in 2020 i think again i think he i think you can see a career high in targets i think you see a career high in catches i think you see a career high in yards the touchdown thing is it is what it is. He'll get his. Yeah. He could he could get all of them. He could get he could get 10 touchdowns. The path to him getting 10 touchdowns isn't unrealistic. And then that puts him into the top five wide receiver conversation for me if he gets that many. I don't think he will. Well, but- and I do think he can be uh, I think he can be a, uh, yes, you're right that uh, there's this concept that he can't be a red zone producer because his tu- his touchdowns have never like eclipsed double digits. But we don't have Gerald Everett on the field anymore. He's in Seattle. He, by the way, I think is a great value. And so, yes, you're adding Deshaun Jackson, who's going to be healthy for approximately, what, two and a half games? Yeah. And Van Jefferson is coming on. And they've added Tutu Atwell, who weighs, like, maybe 30 pounds more than me. Like, I don't know. I just feel like when we look at, like, consistency and red zone opportunity, like, the what is replacing Everett is not, to me, as threatening as Woods is efficiency and ability to convert regularly and consistently yeah i i think i'm with you i just think it's going to be one of those things that it's all going to be brilliant um for robert woods this year um i you've just referenced to who out well i have to share a tweet i put out after he got drafted that he is the weight of uh, 580 quarter pounder with cheeses from mcdonald's (laughs) that's a pretty good one 
<laughs> You're full of these fun facts from uh, Matt, Max Verstappen to Tutu Atwell. That's why I get known for. That's why I was a nerd in school. <laughs> Some things like this. So who are you, who are you loaded on at, at wide receiver? Yeah, Will Fuller. Like, I, I don't even understand the Will, Will Fuller truthers. Just I, We talked about, like, being the loudest, but not necessarily the most accurate at the top of the show. Will Fuller truthers will not go away. And maybe Will Fuller bl- brings plenty of speed and potential and field stretching ability to Tua because obviously Miami is, you know, going to double down on their very high draft investment. But Waddle, uh, like, I am interested in Jalen Waddle. And a lot of people are like, yeah, but he's a rookie. He's like, got to develop rapport. Not with, no, not with Tua. <laughs> like, when well. we look at, right? Like, when we look at, what Tua struggled with last year, his ability to deliver, which he admitted into tight windows. And that's why, you know, he wasn't able to connect with a contested catch specialist like Parker. And we like look as well at Fuller's inability to stay on the field. He's been active for 29 games over his last three seasons. Waddle to me is the most intriguing fantasy option. So because I am higher on Waddle, I am therefore lower on Fuller. Uh, I'm with you. And also he's banned for week one, which isn't going to help anyone. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I'm with you. Um, my high and lowers probably won't shock anyone if I listen to Friday's um, show. I'm higher than most on, well, not you apparently, but uh, on Robbie Anderson. I think he's going to get his, um, you know, Joe Brady, I think was third in the league last year in, third, in in three wide receiver sets. Yes, okay, that might drop off a little bit with Christian McCaffrey back, but I, I think Terrence Marshall Jr. is going to get his. I think that um, Anson's going to get his, Moore's going to get his. I think they're going to put the ball in the air. I think they're going to spread it. But And also, the thing with <laughs> Robbie Anson was a wide receiver too last year with two touchdowns. Um, you know, we, we talked about it Robert Woods. He's going to get a similar target volume to what he got last year. He's earned his right in that team. He's not going to see too much competition out on the outside. And his touchdowns, you know, they're going to regress. They're going to regress back to the mean. He he can easily get to five, six touchdowns if he keeps the same volume. So he's only going to go arrow up from last year. He's not going to remain the same or go down. The only thing that's going to hurt is injuries. He's been very durable in his career. I think um, Robbie Anderson is a screaming value. He's, you know, it's, I'm looking at sleeper ADP, and he's going off a wide receiver 45. Like, that's just criminal. Yeah. Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Going ahead of him in sleeper ADP is LaVisca Chanel, which, again, I don't understand. I don't that's understand. That's a pig lock. Yeah, that's a pig I, lock. But I, you're also not mentioning his rapport with Sam Darnold. These two players are not well, strangers to one another. You know, it is pre-existing. And of the 13 games Darnold started in 2019, Anderson either cleared 80 yards or scored in six of them. So that's half, right? Like, would you like 80 on the Jets with Sam Darnold at the lead and Adam Gates yeah, holding the clipboard points. or not? Right. 80 yards or scored in six of those 13 games. Anderson did. Okay. So uh, I, I don't understand Uh, again, like we also said, like his ability to rebrand himself last year um, and like showed off his versatility. And I am huge on versatility because it just allows a higher overall snap count and uh, 
potential usage potential. Yeah, he's not coming off the field. DJ Moore's not coming off the field. You know, and and you got to remember last year, Curtis Samuel got a little bit in the way of, of Robbie Anderson, not a ton. Yeah, he's not got that this year. You know, there's just no path to Robbie Anderson losing touches at all for me. And I think he's going to be absolutely set. The Viscational is the complete opposite. I don't understand. I understand looking at the tape how talented a player LaVisca Chenault is. I understand that in the right situation, in the right offense, the right coaching staff, he could be an absolute superstar in this league. Guess what? He's not in any of those things. Jacksonville absolutely stink. They are going to continue to stink this year. You know, <laughs> they've lost 105 games since 2012. You know, wow. they've lost more games than the Browns, who went 0-16, then 1-15. Like, in that time, that is horrific. It's... It, the thing with the and then you've got Urban Meyer who is untested at this level. He plays a spread offense. I've watched enough Urban Meyer experiences. I, I went to the University of Florida. I understand Urban Meyer is someone they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball a lot. Even they're going to run the ball when they're losing. They're going to run because they're building a culture. They understand they might only win four games this year, maybe five. If everything breaks right, six. But they're not going to. They're going to lose double-digit amount of games this year, no matter how good Trevor Lawrence is. And then you've got the roles themselves. You could brought in Marvin Jones, and you got DJ Chark. Their roles are pretty cemented in this offense. I'm worried about their volume to a degree, but I think their roles are pretty cemented. So Lavisca Chenault's going to line up in the slot, and do you know who's going to compete for him and probably take a significant amount of his work? Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne. <laughs> So you've yeah. got Travis Etienne, who's been drafted in the first round of a team that should not have taken a running back in the first round, who is getting a lot of snaps at wide receiver. And he is going to line up and he's going to eat so much of LaVisca Chenault's workload. So LaVisca Chenault had 79 targets last year. Can I see a path to LaVisca Chenault getting more? No. Can I see him getting less? Yeah. So why is he going at like wide receiver 38? It makes no sense to me. Like, it just doesn't make any sense with his role and everything. I think he's a great player, but I just don't think in that offense he's going to work at all. Well, I think you mentioned two things. Remember you talked about investment, right? Urban Meyer didn't draft LaVisca Chanel. He's not his guy. He wasn't his, quote, Swiss Army knife. He got himself one of those. And by the way, one that has immediate rapport with his number one overall draft pick, Trevor Lawrence. Of course, ETN is going to be prioritized over LaVisca Chenault. I think the Chenault take is like people who, you know, really fell in love with the content they wrote last year about Chenault's potential breakout. And they just don't really, they were like, man, that was some good pros. I really worked hard on those, on that research. And so they copy and paste it and tweaked because sometimes writing all these articles and doing this research is a lot, especially in hot back summer. Yeah. That's it all for me. Let's skim tight ends quickly. Let's not talk too much about tight ends because I'm conscious of time. You've got Adam Troutman as one you're higher on consensus and uh, yeah. Noah Fant as one you're lower on in consensus. I'll be really quick. Adam Troutman is, I could put him inside my tight end 15 after a couple of, uh, after a couple of lemonade trulies, I might be tempted to do it. Uh, here's the basic, here, here's the premise. When the New Orleans Saints give up four picks to scoop a prospect at a scheme-friendly position, you take note, even if you know that note won't be good for a year. There is no Jared Cook. There's no Emmanuel Sanders. There's no Josh Hill. That's like 150 damn targets. 
available. Adam Troutman, I don't care who the quarterback is, Adam Troutman is going to be third in opportunities and completions among this uh, pass-catching group in New Orleans. He is being discounted because he is not known. And also, he and because he went to a small school, Dayton, where he absolutely crushed, by the way. We know Sean Payton loves himself a tight end that he can use as a toy. And also here's the thing Troutman did manage to do as a rookie that most rookies don't improve as a blocker. He ended up uh, at the end of 2020, he was graded as PFF's number one run blocking tight end. He ain't coming off the field. I'm with you. And you're lower on consensus than Noah Fant. Who the hell is Noah Fant? Who is he? Can someone tell me who he is? Cause here's what I know. Noah Fant, was drafted out of Iowa because he was a touchdown machine. He was going to be this red zone threat for Drew Locke, who was high and wild and all those things. And yet the only thing I know Fant has been is consistent. He's had inconsistent, right? The only thing he has been is inconsistent. He had a litany of soft tissue issues, most of them lower body in 2019. Soft tissue issues, by the way, are recurrent. Uh, If any injury is considered recurrent, they're very unpredictable. And in 2020, when he was on fire at the top of the season, oh, then he sprained his ankle in, I think, week four or maybe week five, and things went completely off the wagon. I mentioned his ability to be a red zone or his potential or his thought to be a red zone uh, producer. Well, he's managed just three touchdowns in back-to-back seasons. Where are the damn touchdowns? Last, I'm not even going to talk about the draft drops because I know you all know the numbers on the drops, and if you don't, you should. Because last year, Fant drew 12 red zone looks. And again, he managed three touchdowns, only seven red zone completions. We don't know who the care. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. Is it going to be Locke? Is it going to be Bridgewater? Sutton is back. Judy has flashed. There are other options. I am done with Fant. I love Noah Fant, but I'm with you. I two years ago when he was drafted, I thought he was for me the best tight end prospect to have come out of college in some time, but he has not lived up to it. And I don't think it's all his own fault, but I think a lot of it is. I think when you've got opportunities, you've got to shine. And he hasn't, he, for me has been probably one of the most disappointing draft players uh, over the last three or four years, especially in the skill position. So I I can totally get on board with that. Um, I've got Logan Thomas because I just want to buy every part of the, the football team's offense. Um, Then you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who absolutely loves tight ends. I think you're looking at what they've got there. Curtis Samuel is going to be the gadget player, splash player. You've got Terry McLaurin. It's not a million miles of competition for targets, but in the red zone, I really think Logan Thomas is going to be... Listen, I'm not stupid high on Logan Thomas, but I can see a path easy for him to be at the tight end five. I mean, he was the tight end three last year. I mean, it's not a huge ask for him to reach where he got to last season. And I, I think he will in spades in what will be a better offense. Um, I'm lowering everyone on George Kittle only because I'm not convinced George Kittle is going to play 17 games. And until he plays 17 games, I will continue to not draft him at his ADP because I just cannot afford a second round pick to not be on the field. So I will swerve that. When he plays 17 games, I'll draft him. Until that happens, no. I agree with you. He's not going to play 17 games. Um, and I would say, asterisk, outside of tight end premium scoring leagues, I would agree with you. My only 
love of Kittle is the offense that he is attached to and knowing that the minute Trey Lance comes in, because I don't think we're all, any of us are believing that Jimmy G is going to make it all 17, whether because he's benched or because he's hurt, uh, the offense is going to shift to a more run-focused offense, but Kittle of the receivers or of the pass catching options there remains the most quarterback proof. And I believe in Kyle Shanahan and I believe in the fire that is that offense. And so I don't mind attaching myself to him though. I admit the ADP does make him risky. Yeah. I I think if he was going in the fourth, fifth round, I would absolutely buy it, but I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, and just basically give away a second round pick for the four games. I'm going to have George Kittle go off in, in 2021. Um, last question for me. And I ask this to everyone is what is your one spicy hot fantasy football take for the 2021 season? It can be absolutely anything. You've given well, I don't loads think it's to gonna, be fair. I don't think it's going to be that spicy given what you just said about Logan Thomas. And it's not a fantasy take. It's a straight up football take. I think that the Washington football team is going to win the division and advance to at least the second round of the NFL playoffs. I am all in on them. Scott Turner has been top 10 in pass attempts over two straight seasons, both in Washington last year and Carolina the previous. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a top 15 quarterback. Book it. McLaurin is a top 10 quarterback. Samuel is at least a minimum of a top 35 option. Three-year, $34.5 million contract means he's getting something. Gibson's a top 12. Uh, Thomas, your guy, is a top 10 option. All of that adds up to a winning combination. I am taking them, like I said, to win the division at plus 250 odds behind Dallas, by the way, who are at plus 115 per fat MGM. And then let's not forget, they have one heck of a defense. That too. Easily the best defense in the division by a long way. Like, it's not even close. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Um, I mean, I was, and, and you look at that Super Bowl run that the Buccaneers had, it was, it was the football team that gave them the, the, the biggest game. They, they were the ones that mm-hmm. really took with Taylor Heineke, who had barely played at all in the NFL. And they were the ones that really pushed the Buccaneers. That was, you ask anyone on that coaching staff, that was their hardest game because they had absolutely nothing to gain by winning that game. And Washington just gave it everything. And you look at the other games, the Buccaneers were in control of every other game in, the, in that run. Yeah. That game was really close. I know the Buccaneers were always ahead, but it really was. A couple of calls going Washington's way, they could have really, really caused an upset. And then we'd have a whole different picture, and Aaron Rodgers still wouldn't have gone to the Super Bowl because it's not what Aaron Rodgers does. Uh, nor would you <laughs> agree. Actually, do you know what? Washington probably would have won it last year. I'm that convinced. That Washington would have won well, it last year if they'd beaten the Buccaneers. I've just talked if, myself into it. No, I, I don't think that's a hundred percent wrong because Tampa Bay's defense won the Super Bowl for them yeah. against Patrick Mahomes. And I mean, I, I would the experience level isn't necessarily the same because of the amount of youth on Washington's team compared to the vets on Tampa Bay's, but uh, I do think Chase Young and company could have Montez Sweat, all of them could have could have given Patrick Mahomes a run for his money given the defense efficiencies in that offensive line so not impossible and i am married to a washington football team supporter so thank you 
I will not say that to him though, because I, I don't want to bring up any old wounds. I need to keep my marriage as pleasant as possible, especially <laughs> after the quarantine that was 2020. I love it. Listen, this has been an absolute treat, an absolute pleasure. Tell everybody, I'm sure everyone listening to this is following you, but if they're not, where can they find your work? Where can they find your articles, your takes, your rankings, uh, you as a person and, and everything else? Absolutely. I would love it if you please fo- if you would please follow and engage with me because I actually do like talking to my Twitter followers instead of just tweeting, you know, like what I ate for breakfast that day and leaving it alone. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Liz Loza underscore FF and on Instagram at Liz Loza underscore FF. Also, um, I did, I rolled out a couple of weeks ago, my rest versus rust series. It is one that is particularly close to me. You can find that on Yahoo Sports. You can also just Google Liz Loza rest versus rust. I went through very in-depth um, and worked with an orthopedic surgeon and the team doctor at the University of Southern California on these. I think there are some illuminating points. It'll give you an incredible advantage over some players that are just being very widely discussed. We talked about uh, Dak Prescott, Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay. So rest versus rust on Yahoo Fantasy or Yahoo Sports. And starting this week, I will be the face of video for the summer Olympic coverage for Yahoo Sports. It's going to be some gnarly day nights, nights because of the time change. Um, so I would encourage everyone to download the Yahoo Sports app and the Yahoo Fantasy app and follow along with our Olympic coverage because we will be doing it in real time. Regardless of what time zone you are in, I am working from LA time, either 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. or 2 a.m. to 10 a.m., reacting to things that are happening live and giving you, and this Olympics already, let me just tell you, I've been in a million production meetings and there are lots of players who are not going and having to pull out because COVID-19 continues to be um, a factor. I've seen some people called it the ill Olympics, the ill Olympics. Um, so please check that out and follow me on social for everything Olympics and uh, fantasy football. And I guess Formula One related as well. Formula One takes, if you followed your takes at the weekend, you would have made yourself some money. So definitely do that. Um, I really love this. I think it's been a phenomenal episode. Thank you for joining. Congratulations. Me Number 400, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. It's gone. It's gone really quickly. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing another 400 more because this is just an amazing thing that we do. So to all the writers and everyone who have been part of this, thank you so much for being part of the 400 episodes. Anyone who's ever guested, whether you came on once or you've been on uh, a million times, uh, we really appreciate it. Liz, thank you so much for joining. Really, really appreciate it. This has been honestly a, a real hoot and love to have you back uh, at some point in the future as well. Thank you so much. I, I loved being here with you, Adam. And um, I love any connection to the other side of the pond that I can get. So thank you. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Rush Nation, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, plenty of content coming out this week. Uh, lots of different things. Dynasty, uh, there's a great DFS pod coming out. Uh, IDP will be back this week. So there's all lots going on over the channels. More articles being put up. Check that out on 5yearrush.co.uk. The FFCC is just seven days away. Get ready for those. But... Until later on, don't forget, keep rushing. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. 
We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.